Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm your host, Charnel Lennox, and with me in the studio is Megan. Hi, Megan. Hello, Charnel. How are you today, my well, friend? It is, it's a little bit cold. It's fall here. Mm-hmm. It feels like in, in Michigan now, but I'm doing great now because I am stroking our kangaroo our scrotum. Our lucky kangaroo scrotum, as we do before every yeah. episode. It feels full. It does. It yeah, does. Supple today. Yeah, it's got all those those little crystals in yep, it. Our good <laughs> your luck turn crystals. There we go. We're going to be off to a strong start today. We're bringing you, I'm bringing you a real bummer of a case, but I was intrigued because most everybody who is involved in true crime has heard of Jack the Ripper. Of course. Right. We don't, there's lots of podcasts out there that have done deep dives into Jack and we don't really know exactly how many victims he really has. We or know, she. I even ex- read a book yes. that said it could be, she could, it, it could be female. Yep, and I don't disagree with that for sure. But this case that I'm bringing you today is the Ripper-esque murder of eight-year-old John Gill. Oh, eight. Well, actually, he was seven. He was oh, a, a make month. make it better. Well, he was a month away from being eight. So when you look up, and this is old timey, so when you look up different information, some say seven, some say eight, but quite frankly, he was almost eight, and that's why people were just kind of rounding up. He was only like three weeks away from his... Um, birthday unfortunately when this all of poor this baby happens. yes and when we're talking old timey how far back are we going 1888 oh it, mm-hmm. that is definitely old timey it is and it is just to give you some context here everyone from august 31st 1888 to november 9th 1888 is when the murderer known as jack the ripper would claim the lives of what we know of five women in various gruesome killings so at this point in time we are in Victorian society, essentially, everyone is on heightened alert. This is ripping through the newspapers right now. No pun now. intended. Yeah. I didn't even, you're right. I didn't even mean so to do that. is this literally an old timey copycat murder? Frankly, we don't know. We think so. You be the judge. Uh, yeah, that's kind of why I'm bringing it. There is still a lot of mystery surrounding Jack the Ripper. You guys hear the information and tell me what you think about it if it was copycat or quite frankly was it he or she actual ripper the ripper mhm so we're in yorkshire 1888 now john gill was a happy little kid he his family was very well respected they were in manningham which is a suburb of bradford in west yorkshire he was said to be bright in school he was popular with his peers people called him johnny Aww. We know 1888 was the year that in this area, Jack the Ripper was, was butchering women, literally. Um, it's quite gruesome, the details, which just trigger alert. These very similar gruesome details. This is why it's being compared to Jack the Ripper for how this little boy So if you don't like found. child cases and you don't like gruesome yeah. cases, then yeah. maybe skip. Maybe, yeah. Maybe this one's not for you. I won't go. I mean, I'm going to tell like what the autopsy showed and things like that. And it is gruesome, but we will not linger 
Thank you for on, the warning. On those details. Jack the Ripper's last confirmed murder was only a few weeks prior to John Gill. Keep that in the back of your mind as well. And that person, that, that victim's name was Mary Jane Kelly. And her body was not just mutilated. It was utterly destroyed. If you don't know anything about Jack the Ripper, use your imagination for why they may have used that um, descriptor for him. Um, I found just a, just a couple of brief things here, trigger alert. Uh, Mary, for example, her flesh had actually been sliced away down to the bone. Um, her face was gone and her heart had been cut out. Right. So that is how they found her. And of course, they were highly publicizing all of these crimes. So Manningham at the time, very small community. It's less than 200 miles from London's East End. They were getting news of all of this stuff through the papers, you know, even back in 1888. So let me take you to Thursday, December 27th, just two days after Christmas. There was ice everywhere. It had snowed. It's just very magically you know, the most wonderful time of the year, essentially. John Gill, one of, like his routine, something that he loved to do, was catching rides with, 20, with the 23-year-old milkman, William Barrett. He was a well-known milkman in the area. He had his horse and carriage that was delivering milk to all the patrons. And he let little John ride along with him and help him every day. Which is adorable. And yes. at that point in time, things were safe. You knew your milkman just like you knew your neighbor. He was your neighbor probably. And so wait, he'd wait until the milk guy came up to deliver milk and he'd be like, I'm getting in. I'm getting in. Mm -hmm. And then he'd do his route And he, with him. he would. And he was a hardworking little boy. He loved going and doing this. And he had to get up super early, which, you know, back in the day, everyone got up super early. I mean, it's survival. Right. And then he would go back to the horse stables that Barrett actually, I'm sorry, that was actually owned. These horse stables were owned by William Barrett's employer. Okay, so he would go back to the horse stables and he would help out there. But let me just kind of break down for you what what goes on. Right, because now you have me thinking William Barrett's a suspect here. Well, and he was for a while. We know that according to William Barrett, at one of these stops, either the stables or at Barrett's own home, the two had breakfast together. They had milk and um, some bread, some bread and milk. The, the thing is, is that the stables and William Barrett's home are only a short walk from John Gill's house. Yeah, that makes sense. I almost wonder if William Barrett lived in housing that was maybe owned by his employer being Probably. so close to the stables. That yeah. just seems legit for the time. Yep, I would, I would assume so as well. Typically, what would happen is that William Barrett wouldn't take his horse and buggy back to John's house to drop him off. Once he was done with his route and they went back to the stables to stable the horses, they he would hang out and help out a little bit, but then he'd just walk home. Sure. Or if he went to William Barrett's house, same thing. He would just walk home from there. No reason to believe that he would be unsafe in any of this. There, we're talking like 50, 150 yards away from right. his house. It's not, these people are neighbors, you know. And seven slash eight year olds were a lot more self sufficient and and, and working in and doing chores. Oh, yeah, yeah, than our seven and eight year olds who are playing Minecraft. Yep, absolutely. The other thing is William Barrett is from a respectable family. He had a young wife, and I mean everyone went to church together. According to John Gill's family, they had no reason to ever worry about John being with William Barrett. Okay. 
So we don't get creeper vibes. No, here. not at all. He was a simple and cheerful man. He was well liked. This is William. He was well liked. John really liked him. He had no problem with the eight year old keeping him company during his milk route. He was just just a good guy. During school holidays, when John was off from school, he would spend more time helping William out. You know, I think he just really looked up to him. William did not mind the company. So that morning, he woke up early. He told John Gill, woke up early. He remarked to his sister that he was really looking forward to his cart ride with William Barrett. And he said that at first he had to go run an, run an errand for his father. So Mr. Gill was a cab driver. And so John would have to go get his horses ready. This is 1888. So yeah. the cab is a horse, horse and, and buggy. buggy. And he would harness the horses for his dad. And so he had to do that and, and be done and ready by the time by the time William Barrett was coming by to pick him up to go on the milk route. So all that happens and he leaves about 6.30 in the morning waiting at the front door with his mom to jump into the horse and buggy with William Barrett. This is adorable. Yep. So there, he starts to walk out. Um, John's mom realizes that it's actually colder out. It had snowed the night before. It's colder out than she thought. So she calls him back to get more of a petticoat on to keep him warm, gives him a kiss goodbye, and off he goes. And this is it. This is the last time that she sees her son. Yes. John and William Barrett arrived at the depot to load up the milk where they were seen by several locals. And then they set off on his delivery route. About three o'clock that afternoon, Mrs. Gill came looking for William Barrett and saying, hey, you know, where's John? He doesn't usually stay to help him from 630 in the morning until three. Okay, so we're talking after the route and yep. maybe he goes to his house to have breakfast. He's probably home by noon, by yeah. lunchtime. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Even earlier. Typically, oh yeah. So and it's three. It's three. Yep. So of course, William Barrett's like, I'm not sure. I have not seen John since 8:30 a.m. I dropped him off at Walmer Villas, which is just one stop shy of his last milk delivery. And was that typical? Because before we said that he had usually dropped him off back to the stable or even at his own house, and he would walk home. Johnny would. I think that. See, they had already had breakfast. So I think that he just let John decide when he was ready to go home, when he was done helping him. You know, and you did just say his mom even recognized that it was colder than usual that mm -hmm. day. So maybe he figured he'd drop him off a little closer to home. Right. Like here, you know, here I am. And it's just one stop shy of his last delivery. There he goes. Um, he told, he said that John said that he wanted to go home for his breakfast the last that William Barrett had seen him was he had went off sliding, so like skating on the ice puddles, yeah, down the street to the direction of his house, which was only 200 yards. So from his last delivery stop to John Gill's home is only 200 yards. Two football fields away. Yep, yep. So he's like, yeah, no problem. You want to go home for your breakfast? Go ahead. And they had, he did acknowledge that he had already had some milk and bread, with the child. Second breakfast. Yes. But I mean, it's we're a growing boy. We're about an eight year old boy here. You know? Well, and if he his parents, if his parents were, were well off or, or at least making a living and well respected, maybe he was going to get more than uh, bread and milk too. So I'm sure. again, eight year old yes. boy, you yep. can and never feed them enough. Yes. And John Gill's family was said to be very well respected, um, 
I, I mean, I wouldn't call them upper class. This is like a middle class, you know, type of neighborhood, whatever. But, but they had means. Yeah, I'm sure he was going to get some get himself some protein. Right. And he's on Christmas break from school. And uh, from what we find out later, his mom did expect him home for breakfast. So okay, he had to get home. So then William Barrett said that he made his last delivery on the street, returned to the depot about 835 to load up with more milk to continue the next part of his delivery around 9 a.m. So it sounds like John, what I gathered from this is that John would accompany him on the delivery that was really close to his house and then go home and um, and or help him, you know, in the stables and things like that. And then he would go on to his next delivery. And like you said, it was cold. He probably didn't want to help anymore. Obviously, Mr. and Mrs. Gills grow very alarmed. They get to help. They contact all the neighbors looking for their son. All the neighbors are helping look for him everywhere. And at 5 p.m., Mrs. Gill once again goes to see William Barrett as he's putting his horse away in the stables and thinking like, hey, have you seen him? I wondered if maybe he came back, you know, here. He's like, no, I I have not. Now at 10 o'clock, William Barrett and his wife went to the Gill house because they were worried and they just wanted to make sure that John had got home. And they find out, no, he had not. It's 10 p.m. He had not returned home. William Barrett is really distressed, really worried because he is essentially the last person to see this child alive. And he spends every day with this child. So maybe he wasn't as worried at first, but when it gets to the end of the day and you know the whole community, close-knit, tight neighbors, everybody knows each other or else to looking for this little fella. He's probably genuinely concerned. I I don't get a bad vibe right now. No, no. You know, his wife points out at this point in time, like, this isn't good because now he's missed his dinner, his lunch and dinner, presumably. And, you know, for an eight-year-old, don't miss their dinner. No, and he's cold. And so people are really growing worried. By Friday, uh, December 28th, William Barrett came to Mr. and Mrs. Gill's house again at 630 in the morning wondering has John showed up oh my god can you imagine he's like hoping praying maybe he's on the front porch waiting for him to go on his milk run yep and then they can have a conversation about not disappearing all day right so they said no and it was then that they decided okay we're going to they they had told William Barrett the police are now on the case and looking into this and there's detectives involved and so he's like okay and he finished his milk rounds for that day. Mr. and Mrs. Gill did place an ad in the newspaper. I mean, you know, 1888, that was the social media. Interesting though that they did that. Basically their missing persons ad went into the newspaper. Yep. So I'm glad they did that because we know still that we don't get advertisement for some children that are missing. Nope. Yep. That's so true. This is what the ad said, quote, lost on Thursday morning, boy, John Gill, aged eight, was last seen sliding in Walmer Villas at half past 8 a.m., had on navy blue top coat with brass buttons on, a midshipman's cap, plaid knickerbocker suit, laced boots, red and black stockings, and his complexion was fair. His home is at 41 Thorncliffe Road, end quote. Like, please return. Mm-hmm. I can picture this cute little fella, too. I know, me too, so vividly. So the search for John went on all day. Many locals are joining in with the police search, of course, including Mr. and Mrs. Barrett. Yeah. Looking for him, too. At about 10.30 p.m., Mr. Barrett met up with Mrs. Gill and her friend, Mrs. Kearney. 
there was like kind of a change of tone at this point in time. This is the first time that Mrs. Gill kind of indicates to the Barretts that he she no longer is buying into William Barrett's story about dropping John off at Walmer Villas. And Mrs. Gill told him that if he wouldn't say where John was, she'd have the detectives around the next morning to talk to him, which he's like, that's okay. I'll talk to the detectives. And I don't blame her either, by the way. No, no. At this point in time, all the information she has to go on is this is the last person to see my child alive and we can't find him. Right. Saturday, December 27th, excuse me, Saturday, December 29th, once more at 6.30 a.m., Mr. Barrett, William Barrett, came to the Gill's house asking, is there any news on Johnny? Mr. Gill observed that William Barrett had come along the street from the direction of the stables. And so after being told there was no sign of John, he continued in the same direction as if he was on his way home. This this was just a note, an interesting note that Mr. Gills made. Like he didn't seem to come from his home. He seemed to come from the direction of where the stables were. As like se- he didn't seem like he was on his milk road. Right. At 7.30 a.m., a 31-year-old butcher's assistant named Joseph Beck spelled a buckle in some reports. Oh. So I'm, I'm not sure. Which one one misprint in an 1800 newspaper and you have a new name. That's right. Yeah, that's where we're at. So it might have been Buckle. But he was seeing to his employer's horse at a stable yard that was accessed through a side street off from Thorncliff Road. Okay, so Thorncliff Road is where Johnny's family lives. Okay, so he Johnny would have been on Thorncliff Road to get home. That's where he was sliding on the ice. It was. Okay. And... It's just 60 yards, this this horse stable yard that's accessed by this side street from Thorncliffe Road is just 60 yards from Johnny Gill's home. And this is his own words. This is where I will give you a trigger alert here. In um, Mr. Joseph Buck, maybe Buckle, we're not sure his own words, says, quote, I am employed by Mr. James Berwick of the Market Hall in Bradford who has a stable and coach house in in Thorncliff Road. I was there last night about 9 o'clock, but saw nothing unusual at that time. This morning I went into the stable, and after attending to the horse, I took some manure out of the yard in front of the coach house, where there, where there is a manure pit. I had thrown the manure in when I saw a heap of something propped up in the corner between the wall and the coach house door. I could not make out what it was at the time, so I got a light and then saw a dead body. I just noticed this as another trigger alert because now we're going to get into a little bit of gruesome details. I just noticed that one ear was cut off and was alarmed and went for a man in the bakehouse. He saw the body and we went for a policeman together. We soon found one. I believe his number was 56. Police officers had numbers. They did. Their names. Yeah. He saw the body and I then went for a doctor who came and also saw the body. I noticed that the body was tied up in a jacket or some piece of clothing with a leather belt strapped around it. I stopped at the place for some time and did not care to look at the body. I did not know that it had been cut up or injured. I left it in charge of the policeman. End quote. Now, this child, the body was identified very quickly as John Gill, and his parents were informed of the, the discovery about 8.30 a.m. Oh, those poor people. Yep. By then, though, what's even worse is that John's younger brother, Sam, had already heard 
the news. Rumor gets around in a small town. Oh, yeah, because, of course, it's 1888, so there are people gathering around the crime scene. Sure. Immediately when they hear that there is a body, the people come a-calling, and the police officers just allow them to view in Rome. Sure. There was no such thing as crime scene control, which is a real thing now. And I would assume, although he did not say it in his recollection of the events that a young man, uh, Buckle or Buck, that found him, you you know this is a child. You know this is a small body that you've discovered. Yep, most definitely. If you're close enough to see that he's missing an ear, Mm -hmm. you know it's a child. Yep, yep, definitely. And I think that it was probably very traumatizing for him. And so he was just, this is what I'm going to say about about this right you know Forrest Gump and that's all I have to say about that yes exactly this is what I saw this is and I I got a police officer and someone else to come see and and that's that and he's out mm-hmm. so I'm gonna give you the autopsy report all right but this is also a big trigger alert for those of you that like the nitty-gritty of true crime you're really going to enjoy this part if you're not skip ahead probably about mm, 30 seconds or so. Yeah, that's me. I, I want all the facts. I yeah. want the I want the science. I Yes, and there is give a the, lot to Give this. me the science. Mm-hmm. So little Johnny's body was left face down. It was completely drained of blood and horribly mutilated. He had one ear was cut off and seemed to be missing. Both of, of the child's legs had been cut off at the thighs but later reports would actually say this seemed to be expertly done and cut off like higher at the hip. Ooh. His legs that had been removed from his body were placed beside the upper parts of his torso. He had two stab wounds to the chest from a large knife that was deemed sufficient enough to have killed an elephant. So it was it was large blades Two, two wounds. It did miss his heart, but more than likely was the cause of death. So we can <clears throat> hope then that, as awful as this sounds, the stab to the heart happened first because sta- it would have yes. been pretty quick. They believe that he, all of the other wounds besides the two stabs were done posthumously. Okay. So he was already gone before being mutilated. And when you say drained of blood, are we assuming it's because of the stab to the chest? Or do you mean somebody expertly drained him of blood? It was an expertly drained of blood. Good God. Not uh, blood loss. There was no blood loss at the scene. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he was placed there later. Mm -hmm. We know this now. We do. Yep. And he would have had to have been, if the amputations... um, were expertly done in the way that in the manner in, in mm-hmm. which they uh, uh, preserved in the autopsy, then that was probably done off location as well. And just he was placed here. Mm-hmm. He was he was set there to he be found. He was set there to be found and to possibly set up people too. Is is a theory here. So there's there was actually no injuries to his face at all. His throat had not been cut like across at all, like this way, like he had been you know sliced across the throat that it. It, where it happened was there was a deep vertical slash that began at his throat and went downwards to his lower abdomen. Yeah, this is surgical style. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Now, his heart had been cut out. Okay, so this is where the similarity uh-huh. to the ripper is. But then it was neatly tucked underneath his chin. His heart. Mm-hmm. Now, the hearts on the ripper victims were gone. Were gone. Mm-hmm. All right. Go ahead. And they also, though, weren't children. Correct. So sections of his intestines were also removed, 
and these had been draped around his head and shoulders. Yes. Jesus. The abdominal cavity was so clean that it appeared to have been washed out. Inside it, among other things, which in one of the things that were inside his abdomen were his boots. What the fuck? Exactly. They also found in his ab- abdomen his missing ear and a severed lung. There was also severe genital mutilation. The entire scrotum had been cut away. And like several other of his organs were nowhere to ever be found. So some are just missing mm-hmm. and some things are randomly tucked into his into abdominal his cavity. cavity. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't have a clear exact time of death, but it was determined to be less than 24 hours before the body had been discovered. So does that mean at the time that they were looking for him, he might have been kept someplace alive for a period of time? Well, that's what I'm wondering because this is now two days later. So he went missing on the 27th. This is the 29th. And they're saying 24. So, but our time frames aren't, aren't going to be that scientifically accurate not then. Not in 1888. No. And it's cold. No, it, it is. And yep, so you're so going to have frozen. Things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. Now, this is verbatim from the police report. And, you know, all of my sources are in the show notes, but I and I used a lot of them for uh, for this case. There were two stab wounds in the chest, which included the area filled by the heart, but the stabs did not touch it. They didn't go through his heart. All the blood vessels were cut through, but the but the vessels which had been stabbed into was the aorta. Yeah, that's instant. There were certain parts of the body missing, a part of the iliac bone, part of the pubic bone on the um, left-hand side, and the fleshy attachments. The knife shown to him by the police would glide into the wound on the chest, and any other knife of the same size would do the same. In his opinion, the boy was not murdered where the remains were found. Death would practically be instantaneous because of the division of the larger blood vessels of the chest. He was of the opinion that mutilations took place after death. The body was bloodless. It had been, it had the appearance of having been washed externally and internally and then allowed to dry or drain. The mutations could not have been with one instrument. There must have been many sharp, strong knives and instruments used, well-tempered and perhaps with a point. Force would be required to sever some of the parts such as could be applied by a mullet or hammer being struck on the back of the knife blade. There was no blood in the boy's clothing except that his collar was saturated with blood. A peculiarity about the collar was that the blood seemed to be much more moist than the body. Really? Yeah. Like recent? Yes. On the lining of the cap was coagulated blood. The body had been parceled up tightly with John's overcoat wrapped around the outside. The whole lot secured by string and John's own braces. He wore braces on his legs. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. They used to use those to correct some type of a foot issue or instep. So he had those little braces. Okay. Yep. His clothes were in a neat pile nearby. None of the clothing had cuts corresponding to the wounds. And it was concluded that John was at least partially naked when stabbed in the chest and mutilated. He yeah, had, he was taken. Mm-hmm. He was taken first and then undressed uh, to some extent and then killed and then maybe undressed the rest of the way. Yes. Or he was completely naked when it happened and they, you know, wanted right. to redress him. Right. He had eaten currants and something containing them prior to his death. 
I could tell from his stomach okay. cavities. And do we know what he had for breakfast? Was it just milk and bread? It was just milk and bread. When he was going home? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So they're thinking that it's very possible that he was lured with food. Sure. To, you know, wherever. Their version of the white van that says free candy on yeah. the outside. Yep. Part of the body had been wrapped in a Liverpool newspaper with the name and address W. Mason, Derby Road, written on it. Efforts were made to trace W. Mason, but he was never found. Like, was he a real person? Yeah. I mean, it was addressed. The newspaper was addressed to that subscriber, essentially. But they never found that person. Mm -mm. I'd be checking out every doctor, surgeon, butcher, uh, funeral home director, mortician, whatever they would have called them for the time. Like, Mm -hmm. those are the people who had the means to complete that type of a crime. Yeah. Yeah, you would think, or any of their assistants that had maybe been witness to any of these things. Yep, most definitely. So let's talk about the crime scene a little bit. Yeah, because I want to know if there's potential witnesses out there, too. I know. This, had, this happened during the day. He was it at did. least taken during the day. 8.30 in the morning. He, William Barrett last saw him between quarter after 8 and 8.30 in the morning, people. On a crisp December morning. Yeah, it's people are going to be out and about. They yep. work. Like yes. you said before, they're, they're up early. They're working harder than we are now. I mean, my God, they... <laughs> Literally to survive. You they only have, to, have until dark, right? Yes. To get all your work done. Yep. So Dr. Samuel Lodge was present at the post, you know, mortem examination. And he said regarding the severed ear that the operation was done as cleanly as if he had done it himself as a doctor. And he thought of all the other several, he thought that of all the other several severed, excuse me, parts as well. It was of his opinion that John had been killed where the body was found, which seems really weird and kind of discredited him a little bit. It should. There was no blood at all found at the crime scene. So the police were like, with all due respect, good doctor, we professionally disagree. And now I have concerns about him as a suspect. Yep. Yep. And the police are like, it is far, far more likely that this happened somewhere else and that this body was placed there sometime between late Friday night and the early hours of Saturday morning because of the stable boy who found him had said, I was just here last night and nothing was here. And now here I am. Yeah. Inquiries were being made by the police and they also established that the body must have been placed in that place between like they think between half past four and half past seven. In the morning, because at half past four, the constable on duty um, on a nearby street tried the doors of the coach house and stood on the very spot where John Gill was found. Oh, somebody, th- this murderer is, um, it was staking this place out to yes. find the, the right place to, to dump him and was paying so. attention to traffic and, and mm-hmm. everything. Yep. Because, you know, here this constable is, he's doing his nightly rounds, Right. And he goes and tries the doors of all the stables that are on his route. So he stood there right at the door, tried to open it. And it's obvious the child's body was not there at that point in time. And then it was, you know, whatever time it was, um, seven o'clock or so when that stable boy then noticed him. So they were able to kind of narrow the investigation to it had to have been sometime shortly after five o'clock because between then and like, Five o'clock when the operatives that are employed in the various mills in the vicinity would be like up and starting to stir. So after that time, a person carrying a large package such as as this was wrapped. I mean, he was wrapped like a package. 
right in with newspaper even and his own petticoat. And the belts, right? Yeah. To hold them all um, together. It twine. It was described as being like okay. string. Twine. Yeah. I don't know why I had belts in my head, but yeah. And so someone, I mean, that time in the morning, you know, it is still going to be dark, right? There's only lanterns for light. But somebody carrying a small package-esque like that may have gone unnoticed as they're going around their, you know, their morning routine. It's probably not going to be oh, I think he's carrying a, a small child's body. Well, and you know? gruesome or trigger alert. Remember, he's already been taken apart. Yes. So he's... He's even smaller. Correct. Essentially. Or at least more compact for purposes of mm-hmm. relocation. Yep. There's another strange aspect to this. All right. A stranger. Stranger. Yeah. Uh, several letters were sent to the police and the press prior to this fucking murder. Claiming to be from Jack the Ripper stating that he was done with London and he would now be starting north. Fuck. And it's no and this is about you said less than 100 miles. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, 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 from the last no. from the last murder, known murder. Mhm. Wow. And I have a like you're all on my tail. You're catching all my my murders. Yep, I'm done in London. I'm, I'm going I'll, I'll actually read you one of the oh, please, um, good, letters. Please. It says, "Dear sir, If the Bradford police would like to make another gallant capture, now is the time. I have arrived in the town for the purpose of doing a little bit of business. Bradford is the field that requires my labor. Of course, knowing as I do that your men are so clever, it is not necessary to give my address, nor yet describe myself minutely. I will simply state that I am here alone, quite near to the town hall. I am, my dear sir, yours in the light against wickedness, J. Ripper. P.S. Perhaps you'd like my portrait, but you see, I am in deep mourning for those ladies that I put to sleep and do not wish one to be taken. Oh my God. So the newspaper that he was wrapped in, that Johnny was wrapped in, Mm -hmm. what newspaper was that again? Mm -hmm. It was from a Liverpool newspaper okay so not far he's in an out-of-town newspaper though it wasn't one from the town that he was in so whoever wrapped him in this had a newspaper that was from out of town and he made a comment in that letter about how i won't give you my my address yeah because you guys are so clever but i'm near town hall but there was a fucking name and address written on that newspaper right it was it was yes which they Went to follow up. And on, they couldn't find they the man. They couldn't find that particular person at that address. So, God, now you have me thinking this totally could be Jack the Ripper. He's been leaving little clues and he's mm-hmm. been, because he loves this. He does. This is what he gets off on. He does. He, he's killing these women, which I'm sure he enjoyed, as we are aware. Mm-hmm. But it's the chase. Mm-hmm. He wants to be chased. Yes. And yep. he's given clues and along he's the telling way. Where, yep. And Bradford is not far from where we are at for John Gill's murder okay. at all. Because you've got to remember, each little teeny town has its own name. I mean, think about the town that we're in and yeah. then all the surrounding towns that are still in the same county. They're still, they're right next door. Right. right. Our, and our county's big, um, acreage-wise. And there it are is. just a ton of townships and mm-hmm. villages and a couple of cities. So, yeah. Yes. And that's how it is, you know, here. We are talking... You know, not even many miles, right? So when he says that he's in Bradford, Bradford, because he's got business at the town hall, this is very, very close to 
Um, I, forgive me because I have to scroll up in my notes to remember the cute little town name that we are in. Manningham. Manningham. Okay. Yeah. So it's in Manningham, right? So, so I'm just going off on my on my in- investigative brain then. So, like I just said, I feel like these are this is totally a Jack the Ripper type of stunt mm-hmm. in terms of what he's doing, but the the mo is a little different, and we have mm-hmm. the most different victim than we would have ever had. So this then leads me back to the fact that this could be a copycat or somebody using uh, Jack the Ripper style stuff. He he his face wasn't ripped off. No, no, his face was undisturbed. And although he was, we'll say ripped for lack of a better term, there was a, a live autopsy and surgery surgery mm-hmm. surgical experiment mm-hmm. done on him. So there are some differences. Mm-hmm. And that and I'm not aware of. Correct me if I'm wrong because you've read a book on it. I haven't delved into Jack the Ripper and it's so heavily covered by other sources that I don't know that we that that I will I mean maybe you would want well, to mine sometime was, I, I would love but, to but mine's a creative nonfiction too and this was set up specifically by an author and I wish I, I'll, I'll find it to give credit at some point in time but summarizing or theorizing that it was a female and so mm. going through the whole thing like that like that she might have been a she the Ripper might have actually been an abused prostitute of some kind and, yeah that would make sense yeah so and but of course there's so much to go against that too that just at, you know women are weak and we're fragile and there's no way that somebody would have been able to commit those gruesome we murders could never no. no our breasts would stop us they from would they get in the way from everything right. yeah. um uh. so so yeah i just i feel like this is just a little bit different too well and i forgive me because i don't know the details were there items found in the victim's body cavity? No, like no, to my to my knowledge, like and I'm sure somebody will correct us if we're wrong. But I, I, in all of my reading and just kind of general, um, you know, pop culture, pulp, mm-hmm. you know, pop fiction type with this, I don't have never heard of anything being placed in the victim's ab- abdomens mm-hmm. of Jack the Ripper's victims. I think that we have a copycat here that just took what was sensationalized news at the time and ran with that idea. There are several other um, letters came after the murder, too, that were specifically mentioning a boy and Bradford, but no details really, there wasn't any more details from the newspapers released at that time. Were those signed from Jack R. mm -hmm, also? Yes. Yep. They were the same person. Yep. Then there's also like two months before the murder, and this was mentioned by the newspapers as well, that there was an occult group named Horace Temple that was associated with um, things like the Golden Dawn and they operated in Bradford and had regular meetings like at a local hotel. It obviously sparked a lot of speculation about occult involvement at this point in time. I get that. I think you that's know. another good theory if you're if you're a good investigator that all of that stuff has to be taken into consideration. And it, it certainly could appear to have been a cult style killing of some kind also or ritualistic, I should say. Yeah. Is there something in that? And I haven't heard of those, so I apologize. I'll, I'll have to look them up. But is would there be something um, about uh, severing parts mm-hmm. or placing things inside the body from my limited quick google search that i did yes which is why it led them to believe that it could possibly also from one article that i read it was very common for them to have then placed their sacrificed victim out in the open to be found as part of the ritual so that that person could be properly mourned it it all had something to do with those particular rituals so well nice um, of them 
Yes. They just wanted to make sure that the body was returned so you could um, dis- dispose yep. of it in your religious method. Yes, and it could pass through the right spiritual planes and yada yada. I didn't delve too far. I didn't want to get too far off track because I felt the more I read about that, the more I was like, I could make a whole couple episodes on this alone. So I didn't want to go too far down future. that rabbit hole. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a future rabbit hole. I always hole. put pins in that stuff. And yeah, like, my we bunny tail's on later. and I'm ready to hop down yeah, it. Yeah, that's what happened um, with Stephen Smith case when I found out about Barbara O'Hare. Yeah, like, Aston oh, okay. Hall happened. Yes, yep, we'll, we're going to cover her story, you know, and that's how that all happened. So same thing here was like, and you know, and not all occult things are as scary and as media things make them to be too, but it's, but some of them are. So like, we can't just discredit it. I think like you said, it all needs to be taken into account for the time. <sighs> now this is where it gets a little bit dicey. Because William Barrett was the last person to see this child alive, oh. he immediately became the the only suspect, really, and he was arrested for murder. He's person of interest one. He was. And they arrested him. They did. With what evidence? Well, by you saw that him last? stage, yes, the story had gone national and the police were naturally under a great deal of pressure to bring the culprit to justice, as we've heard time and time again. Small towns aren't comfortable uh, unless someone is in jail. It's so true. You would know that I more do. than anyone. I do. It's, yep. The arrest deeply divided the community between a minority who believed him to be a lunatic killer. There's only a small group of people that believed that William Barrett was responsible for this and then the majority who thought that it was impossible that a man of such previously good character had committed this not just murder you guys this is above and beyond murder oh Uh, it's desecration yeah it is that is so totally different than butcher a murderer this is a butcher a wannabe potential either a serial killer or somebody you starting off Mm mm-hmm that's that's where we're going with it. And obviously had extremely dark desires to be able to, that, that got great enjoyment out of the mutilation, just as evidenced by putting, you know, the ear in his abdominal, his, boots. his shoes. I mean, all of that is just like a mouse or a cat playing with a dead mouse. Essentially, you know, that's that's above and beyond just being deflected as a human. But we also now know from what we know is anybody who's going to do that is going to be considered a a sociopath. Mm -hmm. And so you have not told me anything about Mr. Barrett to cause me to believe that he's a sociopath Mm -mm. in any way, shape or form. And some of that's going to be seen either in nuances. um, And and we're going to get there, I bet. But I bet he has alibis for all this. He's married, too. It's not like he's a single man who's just going to bring this child back to his home. Yeah. No, uh, with his wife there, and yep. you know, carve him with off with his housewife. I mean, she didn't have a job, of course you know? not. And so, uh, women can't work. We're far too fragile. I mean, some days I feel like I am right. <laughs> working or fragile. Fragile. <laughs> yeah. Fragile. So I can't get up to go to work today. I must lay here and eat bonbons. Bring me, fetch me some grapes. <laughs> so William Barrett's supporters like really helped with his legal um, costs. Because there were so many in the town that were like, absolutely not. He did get a really good lawyer and for for his milkman's wage. So that's why it was like, oh, we know he's getting money from his supporters because he's not making this kind of money, you know, being a milkman. The police really were very 
narrow-minded on Barrett. I mean, he seemed like the easy person. They did a, they did not expend a whole lot of resources and energy looking for alternative suspects, which is a problem. It is because the more time that goes by, the less likely you yeah. are going to find evidence or even additional yep. suspects. And you just get such a narrow focus on one man, you're missing everything else entirely. So Barrett's house and stable were thoroughly searched and now there was nothing that was like, aha, there's no aha moment in anything that they found. But they did find, you know, some things that are common for the times that you're going to find, like cloths that looked like they had been washed out with blood and hairs on them. Okay, he's a farmer. You're going to find that in my dad's house right now. He cuts himself repeatedly. My dad was a butcher. Oh, see, there you go. And like in this time, it's 1888. They're butchering their own animals. They are. (laughs) To survive. You work in a stable. Yes. You're dealing with injuries to animals as well. Yep, exactly. They did um, go through his cutlery drawer until they found a knife that was big enough to have caused the deep chest wounds. But again, the times. You're going to find one of those knives in my butcher block right now, Megan. Probably almost any kitchen in that town was going to have something that could have caused that type of injury. Right. And they weren't able to match specifics then. No, no. Or do DNA. Not in 1888. Or do DNA. No. So several locals came forward to say that they had seen John Gill with William Barrett more than an hour after he alleged to have dropped the boy off, while others reported strange sounds and oddly like late nights excuse me, late lights on at the stable where the horse and cart were kept. But again, this is all after all this information is coming out, right? So how credible are these witnesses at this point in time? All the information is being publicized. Like we know that William Barrett is saying he last saw this child at 8.15. So then the the witnesses who maybe did see them together that morning or any other morning that week. Since All these of a kids, sudden, remember. Yep. Yes. Nope. It was 9.15. I know it was 9.15 and I saw them together and I know it was on this day. Those would have more credibility with me if they would have been disclosed prior to an arrest. Right. Also considered as evidence was the fact that John's body was left at the stable only hours after Mrs. Gill threatened Barrett with a visit from the detectives. Which is oh, like, uh, okay. It's jumping a little. Yeah. But it does make you wonder, is someone local, someone in town, someone who's listening and part of these discussions and maybe even part of the search. Oh, yeah. We you, know that happens. You know they were a part of the search. Oh, I do. I feel it. Mm-hmm. So William Barrett, though accused of the most horrible crime imaginable and on trial for his life, he was very relaxed. He had a, a cheerful demeanor in prison, which his supporters saw that as him being optimistic because he was described as being a very cheerful and optimistic man prior to all of these events happening. But then the others who wanted to condemn him saw this as a clear sign of guilt. Oh, oh, like you're happy? Yeah. Yep. Yep. The police called him and said that he had an utter indifference to what was going on at the time. Really? Yeah. He seemed, he seemed to be genuinely concerned when they couldn't find Johnny. He did. That doesn't seem to be indifferent. He came to Mr. and Mrs. Gill's house every morning until that child was found at 6.30 a.m. The same time he would typically be picking John up for the milk delivery and checking in with them at night as well. Has he been found? You know, I don't. 
didn't see anything. Of course, this is 1888, so reports are shoddy. But I didn't see anything where it claims up until that one conversation where Mrs. Uh, Gill is with her friend there. And it's two days past that right. she's like, you know what? I don't think I believe you anymore. Right. You You're know? the last one that saw my baby. Yep. And and it's clear at that point in time that he's gone. You okay. know, so I think that she changed her tone a little bit because then she's like everyone else is like, well, we have no one else to blame at this point in time. Right. Right. So did he actually go to trial? Find out he was exonerated prior. Well, we're I'm just getting getting to it now, actually. I will say, too, that Mrs. Barrett um, encouraged her husband to have a positive outlook, like soon you'll be free. You know, he's trying to put on a brave face for his wife as well. Um, the case against him was not strong. It was completely circumstantial. And due to the lack of physical evidence, the police requested two delays in bringing the case to trial so that they could get more evidence, right? After the second, because they, they had to do this twice, William Barrett was released from custody only to be arrested again after a coroner's inquest named him as the killer. Like, I'm sorry. The coroner is like, I know that it was William Barrett. Can you imagine how easy all of our cases would be if a coroner, if a medical examiner now would, would do an autopsy and say, and... The defendant, the murderer is. This feels like a game of Clue. Right. It was William Barrett with the knife in the stables. Right. Or it like is magically <laughs> written on like your liver. And right. once the autopsy is completed and you can see it. Yeah. Oh, there it is. There's it's been name. disclosed. That's ridiculous. This is all ridiculous. That's ridiculous. He appeared before the magistrate in March 1889. There were few witnesses willing to speak against him. Can I stop you? Yes. Is this the same, the coroner, is this the same person who performed the autopsy who said that he must have been killed there? You know, it did not name this person. Getting a bad feeling I know. about him. Right, right. That person was never looked into. I feel like that should have been the first person to be looked into because why the hell are you claiming that this child was murdered here where there is absolutely no blood evidence whatsoever and you are a doctor so oh, yeah. you have the means to do all of this mm-hmm. and all of our so spidey senses should be tingling easily have the ability to so easily say yep yep it was William Barrett yes indeed so there were 47 47 witnesses available to speak in William Barrett's defense and hardly anybody willing to speak against him in this trial Mrs. Gill told the court that when Johnny hadn't come home for breakfast She'd started worrying right away and asking around the streets whether anyone had seen him. But on cross-examination, both of Johnny Gill's parents admitted that their son never returned for breakfast when they were out with, when he was out with William Barrett and that the boy was often out with the milkman for hours on end so there wouldn't have ha- they wouldn't have had a reason at all for Mrs. Gill to immediately panic that morning. Now, this actually ends up working against Barrett. So the next logical question was why on that particular day and no other day, Johnny had broken um, with routine by getting off the car early in order to have his breakfast at home. Yeah. So there appears to have been no good answer for that other than, you know, like you said, I think he got cold. It had snowed the night before. It's, you know, I, it's It's Christmas break mm -hmm. from school. Yep. It's very possible that he was just tired of riding around with them. But fortunately for him, 
William Barrett's lawyer made short work of the police evidence with testimony from an old man living next to the stables who kept his lights on all night, which might have been mistaken for the property next door when they were like, hey, there's lights. There were lights on at William Barrett's stable all night. This neighbor testified, nope, those were my lights. Mine are on all night. He actually said that he also does stable work in the dark all night and that he had never heard anything unusual. This is typically when he would do his his stable work. The blood stain and hairs were shown to be horse hair and dirt. Makes sense. Yep. And faded stains from old injuries that William Barrett had acquired at the stable. The one witness that was willing to like speak against William Barrett said that they saw him carrying a parcel of clothes through the village at a time when he was actually elsewhere and one of the other witnesses had proven that he was elsewhere so, so she conveniently that, sees him carrying a parcel of clothes when he's at work. Yes. Basically. Yes, exactly. When they're like, wait, nope, because he was here at this time doing this because they, they were trying to allude to the parcel of clothes being, being the, body. the body. Yeah, mm-hmm. I picked up on that. So after two arrests, an inquest and a trial, the magistrates declared that no case could be made against William Barrett. And amid a round, a round of hearty applause from the public, he walked away from the court a free man. He did move from Bradford oh, no right shit. away back to his hometown where they basically like threw him a parade. Okay. Okay. Nobody believes that it was this man. As more information. What on, is the saying? Live your life in such a way that if somebody says something bad about you, they it, have no reason to believe yes, it. Yes, exactly. That Which was I him. think was him. I mean, he's a 23 year old boy. With a young wife and his whole life ahead of him, you know. As more information on the case came to light, it became more obvious that the police had railroaded Barrett and that they came under even heavier criticism when it was revealed that they'd suppressed a witness who actually heard John telling William Barrett that he was going home for breakfast and also hidden the milk delivery books, which had shown exactly where Barrett had been at 8.30 a.m. and for several hours after the police did this the police did this because they were under such criticism to get somebody behind bars for this child's murder that they literally were like yep we're just gonna bam bam thank you ma'am are they under criticism which is a one theory or are they in on some type of a cover-up with their autopsy expert their coroner i'm i have a bad vibe I, I'm with you. I'm not feeling the 1888 especially, vibes here. No, especially because even then, law enforcement has a job to do, and you know we both respect that greatly. Yep. So the fact that it was the entire police force just ready to be done with this and railroad this guy, or was there something going on? And how big is their force? Two? Uh-huh. That's yeah. what I'm wondering. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Members of the press were, uh, you know, not kind about all this, about how the police came to completely miss um, all kinds of things, including a set of muddy footprints that were still visible in March 1889, leading back and forth from the site of the body to the backyard of an empty house nearby. No shit. Yeah. So two, three months later, because the snow is presumably melting, Mm -hmm. there are footprints. There are muddy footprints. There is an abandoned house that is nearby, and there are footprints leading right from that abandoned house. Did they go in the house? Did anybody go in the house, Charnel? Well, to my knowledge, no. It was never made part of the investigation. It's not printed in the newspapers that I could find. I do not know. There's just no info on it. Mm -mm. I do not know. 
For all we know, Megan, yes, they did. And yes, that's where that child was murdered. But we don't know. But we don't know. And they know they've already messed up, but they don't have any other leads. Finding where the child was murdered at doesn't necessarily lead them to the killer. No, because it was abandoned. Yeah, it was an abandoned house. Yep. So uh, Mr. and Mrs. Gill did move their other children as well out of Bradford, but Mrs. Gill regularly visited her son's grave until her death, which came more than 50 years later. After her child. She lived a pretty long life for she that did. time frame. Yep. Her, John's murder has never been solved. There is a lot of, of questions, you know, like, why did he leave the car early? Was he, was he leaving early to get breakfast? Had he met, had someone spoken to him prior to and was like, hey, meet me at 830 and we'll have this sweets breakfast that was found in his stomach. Currants. Right. Yeah. And, and is that why? So when he tells William Barrett, I'm leaving for breakfast. William Barrett maybe just assumed that meant at home, but really he was meeting this person. And his parents person. didn't have a good answer for that at trial either. No. I think that his parents didn't want to sound like bad parents that didn't worry about their son until three o'clock in the afternoon. But in their defense, I understand. in their defense, he didn't regularly come home for breakfast. He no. hung out with William Barrett most of the day and he didn't have school. He was on holiday. So... You know, I just think that they were worried. I mean, look at how much scrutiny is going on sure. in the time. So I think they were worried about like why, like being questioned of why weren't you even worried when he didn't show up for breakfast? You didn't even start looking for him until 3 p.m. Some other questions are why was blood found only on his collar and cap? Yeah, that, that bothers me too. Can I speculate? Did you say that some of his uh, trigger alert entrails were wrapped around his head and neck? Yeah. So there's can, there's there's seeping that can occur, and maybe we need a medical expert, but if they redressed him, this person did, and then wrapped his entrails around the top, it's very possible. That would make sense. Those are the two pieces of clothing that were touching um, a body part or an organ. Yeah, yeah, it could have been, except it seemed as though everything was washed. I mean, maybe they didn't get all of the blood, though. Yeah, that's true. And who knows that it would have been seeping blood either. It could have been other type of fluid. Yeah. So they're sorry for grossing everybody out. Well, right, yeah. I mean, but that's how you have to critically look at things sure. in situations like this. Um, where was he kept between the time of his abduction and the time that he was killed? Possibly more than a day later. And how did they keep him quiet? Abandoned shed. Yeah, that's what a I'm... A few feet yep. from the scene with the footprints. Yep. Thrown it up there. And like we had already speculated before was this a random act or had this killer lied in wait, watched people's routines? I think that he was absolutely targeted. I think that it was all a part of it from the moment that the police and the newspapers started receiving those letters prior to his death. I think that this child was picked out and targeted. Yeah, he, he made uh, made for a good victim. Mm-hmm. Also, if this killer is local, there were no other similar similar crimes in the area. At all. Which just goes back to the Jack the Ripper thing about how I'm heading north. It does. And also, though, because we have shoddy police investigative, you know, skills here, who, why are we not witness, like, why are we not interviewing potential witnesses to say, did you see anyone new around town? This is a small town. People notice new faces. Where were those interviews? Well, they don't, if they exist, we don't have them. Uh, Right. Yes. And then the last thing is... We think we've got a Jack the Ripper copycat, possibly Jack the Ripper. I don't know. I'm leaning more towards copycat because of the differences. But also, who was W. Mason and why was his newspaper found wrapped around the body? You know? I just, those, and these are our unanswered questions for this case. You said we think the person exists, that W. Mason, yeah. and they just never found him. Yeah. 
Yeah. They didn't find him at the address that the newspaper was addressed to. Don't you want to know what they did find there? Like, yeah. what was the address? Well, or I'm going to say this. Do they just say that they went and tried to find this person? Think yeah. about that, Megan. Maybe they didn't even really follow up with that. We don't know because in this point, this time, it's not like today when we've got shoddy police investigative work today and podcasts have become a part of this too, of reopening cases, right? Getting in the information going. That wasn't a thing in 1888. No, case closed. Yeah. And you just, you no longer out of sight, out of mind, and we no longer bring it up and we don't question those in authority. No, not unless they were to have ever found, and some people think that they did and we don't know, but found the Ripper or this person later and they would have confessed. So that's when you got your jailhouse or deathbed confessions. Right, right. And that, to our knowledge, has not occurred in this case either. Nope. Really interesting case, Charnel. Right? Yeah. I stumbled upon it. I mean, I have, for everyone who has suggested cases to us, Please keep suggesting them. I do have a list. I really am going down them, but every once in a while, something triggers me and I have to, I get my own pick. And this was one of them where I was actually looking up information on a different case, found this and was like, after these several deep dives that we did last, the last, I don't know what, six episodes or something. Yeah, it's been a It's been a lot. Yeah. Have been entrenched in deep dives. I needed something just a little bit different and, but also intriguing. It. I mean, I find the Jack the Ripper stuff, what little I do know about it, I do find it very intriguing. It's just... That's, that is a deep, deep dive on Jack the Ripper. Is. And we're talking almost miniseries level here, yeah, like yeah. six episodes probably. Right. But what would be really interesting is if um, people are aware, if listeners have other um, copycat Jack the Ripper type stories. Yeah. Um, Oh, I would I, love to I'd know love to about continue those. to cover me those. Me too. Yeah, me too. So send those in if you guys know of any. Yeah, because like I said, there's there is so much coverage out there about Jack the Ripper that this stuff is more intriguing to me even than that because you can just find it everywhere. It's like Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, I'm, oh yeah, I'm are probably, you watching? Are you watching it right now? Not yet. I no, haven't started it either, but I heard it's fantastic. Yeah. Yep. And I just feel like there's just not a, a whole lot new that we could teach the world about it, other than them hearing our perspectives, which are probably very similar to that of a lot of the rest of the world. I like, would think so, but maybe know, with more F-bombs and inappropriate oh, humor. Yes, yes, exactly. So are you going to bathe me from I'm, this poor little fella? I am ready to bathe you. And you guys, I have I have quite a treat for us today. Oh. I felt like with such a gnarly case, we needed to have just a real, real treat of a brain bath. And so I have found for you the, uh, the duct tape bandit. Duct tape? The duct tape bandit. Yep. I will post a picture. This man literally took duct tape, wrapped it around his face, no buffer in between. Oh my Straight God. Straight duct tape to the skin and hair, all the way around mummified stuff. I was just saying, like a mummy? Mm-hmm. Good God, that's going to hurt. Only on his face, though, leaving just his eyes and his lips. But he appears to have gotten some on his lips, Megan, as you can see, because his lips are bleeding. He's going to be missing an eyebrow, too. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's right. He left one half of one eyebrow unscathed from the duct tape. And um, the other one, clearly, and his eyelashes on that second eye are going to be waxed right off. Why did he do this? Oh, he was going to rob a place. All right. An Ashland, Kentucky man was uh, was accused of being the duct tape bandit. And he's gotten himself into a sticky situation. 
The man, who had his head wrapped in duct tape to conceal his identity, walked into a liquor store on Friday, Ashland police said. Um, So just so you guys know, this is from the Denver Post that I'm uh, reading this from. Shamrock liquor store manager Bill Steele had some duct tape of his own, but his was wrapped around a wooden club that sent the robber fleeing. I love it. I know. Store employee Craig Miller said he chased the man into the parking lot, tackled him, and held him in a chokehold until the police arrived. A I would have just started ripping his t- me tape too. off. Yes. A customer also helped, the police said. Good. So this man's name is Casey G. KZ. K- sounds like Casey KZ. Casey it, Casey. It's Casey KZ. Oh, my. Guys, this man was doomed from birth. <laughs> His his name is spelled K-C-K-A-S-E-Y. And then his last name is K-A-Z-E-E. Well, the K-C- fact that they spelled K-C- his first name like that gives K-C- me a lot of knowledge. He was 24 at the time of Ashland, Kentucky, was charged with first-degree robbery. And in, a, in an interview with a TV station, this is my favorite, y'all, he denied that he was the bandit who robbed the store of two rolls of change. That's all he got. Oh, God. And he pled. He spent more than that on the duct tape. He did. He pleaded not guilty, and his bond was set at $250,000. But his quote to this TV station was, do the homework. Do the math. I ain't no duct tape bandit. That's priceless. And someone made a rap song about it. Oh, my God. And I have it. You're going to play it? Yes. And it'll be, the link to the YouTube video will be in my show notes. It's on YouTube. It's called Casey Casey, No Duct Tape Bandit. Okay. It Does it oh, tell the whole no, story? Not No Duct Tape Bandit. I'm not No Duct Tape uh-huh, Bandit. Exactly. You got, we got to rap. Are you ready to rap? I am me? ready to rap. Here it goes. I'm going to hit play here. Come on, baby. The- <laughs> So I look like a duct tape bandit, baby. Tape bandit, baby. Tape bandit, baby. Tape bandit. Do the math, do the homework, man. You know this is not me. <laughs> duct tape? I'm not no duct tape bandit. You hear me? I'm not no duct tape bandit. It's catchy. I'm not oh, no I'm duct digging tape it. bandit. You hear me? I'm not no duct tape bandit. Now look, live one on one, ass in the tuck. You know this is not me. Now look, so I look like a duct tape bandit, baby. <laughs> That's really him. I'm not no duct tape bandit. You hear me? I'm not no duct tape bandit. I'm not no duct tape bandit. You hear me? I'm not no duct tape bandit. Now look, do the math, do the homework. Now look, police say he did this to himself, wrapping his head in duct tape to conceal his face. Now look, I mean, he probably had every opportunity to put a brown paper poke over his head and poke holes in it for a plastic bag, you know? Duct tape? Now look, <laughs> duct tape? This is not me. Fortunately, Steele had his own duct tape attached to a wooden club. <laughs> I'm not Love no duct tape bandit. You hear me? I'm not no duct tape bandit. You hear me? I'm not no duct tape bandit. You hear me? I'm not no duct tape bandit. Now look, he says police have the wrong man. Despite <laughs> the police pictures that might suggest otherwise. Look <laughs> <laughs> The oh, only God. thing that was missing from that is someone going, oh, somewhere <laughs> in the background of that song. I feel like there needs to be a video to go with I this. I know, I know. They're it's, showing pictures just of him, like yes. the crime. Yeah. Yeah, in his jumper, his uh, jail jumper. I and love, whatnot, but. love when people do this and they take <sighs> the actual statements and mm-hmm. set it to a rap like that. That is yep. fantastic. Do the math. Do, do the, the homework. homework. I'm I not, am not no, no duct tape, tape bandit, bandit baby.
You hear me? You hear me? <laughs> then um, as it goes on, there's somebody in the background that just all of a sudden goes, duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> it is the best. Also oh, super catchy and I feel like it should be our intro. You do realize I'm going to sing that the rest of the week. Oh, I know. I'm going to be my car going, I'm it's, not no duct tape bandit. It's <laughs> got such a catchy tune though. Like my ass was starting to shake <laughs> to the beat. Mine's my shoulders. It was good. And my yes. chin. I'm, it's going. I'm not no duct tape bandit. I want to, whoever this YouTuber is that created this, I know you're going to post the link, but yes, I, they are geniuses. I'm a fan. Mm -hmm, I'm yep. a fan. And I kind of want them to do that with some other arrests it, uh, for sure can we have more of this it's soza is the youtube handle okay. on them soza yep so i will post that link you guys that was um probably my most favorite brain bath that i've ever done because i got to accompany it with a rap song yeah it doesn't get better than that it doesn't it doesn't so hopefully you guys enjoyed that too and uh you know, keep keep it curious. Keep sticking around for more cases that we'll bring you. If you have case suggestions, send them to crimecurious at yahoo.com. You could also go to our website. I realize that I never plug our website. It literally is crimecuriouspodcast.com. Oh, you can easy. listen to you can listen to episodes from there. You can email me from there. Whatever. You can see pictures. Meg, we gotta get a picture of you up oh, there. Oh, we do need a You're picture. You're part of the business. Okay. Now. Well, I'll I'll get my headshots done. I think well, you know, my husband is a photographer. So Excellent. But this time, I'm not trusting that. Can I wear clothes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he's interested then. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure something yeah, out. Yeah. We'll Photoshop some onto you. It's fine. Oh, great. Oh, God. All right. And if you would like more of us, feel free to join Patreon, crimecuriouspatreon.com. It's actually, yeah, it's patreon.com slash crimecurious. It is. It's also, the link is in the show notes of this episode as well, too. So you can just click that. We've got lots of binge-worthy um, content. content on there. You know, our top tier Patreons get all kinds of extra content for the month, too. We've been giving them some juicy minis. And a doozy of a Brain Bath Only episode. Oh, God yeah. love all of you if you go and join and just listen to that yeah keep you, listening by the way to us even if you do listen to that first please don't judge us it, it's gonna be funny but um <laughs> there's no actual investigatory work done in it no now this month's brain bath only episode for september was megan jason and charnel and uh it was it was uh, boy that train derailed it is a rabbit people, hole of dream fun it is uh, people seem to really enjoy it though so if you're interested, you could hell just join for that if you'd like. But all right. Until next time, everyone. We hope you have a fantastic freaking rest of your day. And bye-bye. Bye-bye.